Captain. Let's move. ABC Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. Get down! With fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19, all new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of Good Morning Liberty. I am your co-host, Nate Thurston, and unfortunately, I'm by myself yet again today. Charlie sends his best. I talked to him on the phone earlier. He is not, as some of the rumors that I've seen swirling around the internet, he is not getting kicked off of the show. He is not quitting. Everything is fine. We are still best good friends. He just has reasons that he cannot be here today and we'll see about tomorrow as well well we've been gone for a bit now i can't remember if i did an episode on friday or not i don't think i did no we left super early on friday went down to miami went to the uh, liberty con convention the students for liberty liberty con convention that was a fun time want to give a shout out to the good people over there at uh, at students for liberty that did a great job putting on a fun event there are a lot of great speakers there. We interviewed quite a few of them over the weekend. And then we stuck around in Miami and played golf for a couple days, including going to Trump National and uh, doing a little bit of golf there. So it was, uh, it was a fun, like, five days that we were gone. Unfortunately, one of the casualties that occurred on the trip was our beloved MacBook Pro that we used to edit all of the episodes because I like a specific program, Logic Pro. And now we're probably having to order another one, and so that's kind of slowing me down on releasing the episodes. If this one doesn't sound all that great today, that's the reason why. It's not because I also came back sick and, uh, you know, just trying to get over this thing. Charlie did too. I will let you know, though, it is not... It is not the Rona, so there's nothing to fear, nothing to worry about. Don't worry about that. I took a test, and the test said that I was not sick with the only thing that people get sick with these days. So I still went out last night. Charlie and I both went out last night and hung out with one of our Discord group members, one of the people who went to joingml.com, joined up, hangs out with us during the show. Uh, Dave, shout out. Hope you're having a good time in Nashville. We went and had some great barbecue last night. That was fun. Other than that, you know, we met some cool people at the event. It was, it's always a positive experience hanging out around other libertarian people or liberty-loving people. It lets you know that you're not just alone out here shouting into the void for no reason whatsoever. There are other people out here that believe the same things that you do or maybe just a little bit different than you do. Interview the bunch of them. I want to give a shout out to some of the people that we met. You came over to the to the table, talked to us, we had a good time. We all put together a Joe Biden puzzle that you can get at GodHatesFeds.com. We put that together at the puzzle. Even met a guy from uh, even met a guy from Belarus who found us uh, listening to a translated version of our show. I didn't even know that that was a thing, and so he came over and hung out with us. That was cool. We interviewed uh, Anthony Davies. We interviewed Joe Walsh, former Congressman Joe Walsh. I think I put that interview out already. It, it, a lot of these were pretty short. Some of them were lengthy. Some of them were pretty short, 10, 15 minutes. Let me say one thing about former Congressman Joe Walsh. Now, he has been on the show several times as an entry for Dumb Leap of the Week. And he will continue to get those entries wherever possible. But it is weird how when you actually meet someone in person, this is a very important thing to always keep in mind. When you actually meet someone in person, you understand them a lot more. I can tell you that former Congressman Walsh was a very nice guy. He was really cool. He joked around with us a lot. We had a good time. We had similar sense of humors. We're very sarcastic about everything. He is a um, very spirited, uh, just you know, very spirited guy. And when you look at someone's tweets like his, 
And he says some uh, pretty, I would say, extreme things. And mostly he's very, 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 very anti-Trump. And he left the Republican Party. I can tell you this. This is all I'll tell you. He actually believes the things that he's saying. He truly feels this way. And the way that he talks on Twitter is the way that he talks in person. And so it's not just for shock value in, uh, not just for shock value on Twitter or anything like that. This, that is who he is. And when you meet someone, you say, okay, this is who they are. He's a super nice guy. We disagreed on stuff, but we joked around about it and laughed about it and everything. I'm just saying, he was a cool guy. But guess what? He's still going to make it in Dumb Bleep of the Week anytime we see something that is uh, that is ridiculous. Interviewed this uh, apparently famous streamer called uh, Destiny is what he, what he goes by. Guy was kind of a dick. We also talked to uh, Lynn, <laughs> Lynn Ulbricht who is the, uh, the mother of Ross Ulbricht. You might have seen Free Ross going around. We haven't put that interview out yet. Uh, it's uh, you know, pretty short, 10, 15 minutes long, maybe something like that. But she was there speaking, and we got to talk to her for a little bit. And, man, that was just in those few minutes, I already got emotional when we were talking to her. I don't know if you know much about, uh, about Ross Ulbricht, but especially hearing it straight from her, it's a truly terrible story this guy's going to spend the rest of his life in prison unless a president gets him out of it which is unlikely to happen uh, but he's going to spend the rest of his life in prison and he never uh, he never hurt anyone and he didn't take anyone's stuff okay you can look more into it if you if you want to also I'm going to put a note here listen they need people to sign on uh they need people to sign to try and get people's attention to uh, try and get him clemency or whatever, and I'm going to put the uh, the link for that in the show notes today. Make sure that you uh, make sure that you've signed that. I hadn't signed it yet, even though I knew about the situation. Of course, I signed it right after I talked to her. And uh, everyone, you know, just take the three minutes it takes to do that. We had Spike Cohen on the show. That was a good interview. I think that came out on Tuesday. Possibly he was with uh, David Dadman, Liberty Memes. I mean, I don't, I don't know. Dad men, Liberty memes. That's what he goes by. No, uh, David Gay and Spike Cohen talked about all the cool charitable stuff that some libertarians are getting together to do. That was cool. Lee Schooland was on. She had a great story. She lived under the, by great story, I mean it was terrible. It was a good story. She lived in Mao's China. She was there during the Cultural Revolution. And she's kind of sounding the alarm about some stuff. And we, we also, we, we did several other interviews, but we also talked to Dan Fishman, who's the former executive director of the Libertarian Party. He's been on the show a few times. But this time, we had just spent last week talking to Angela McArdle, Michael Heiss, people from the Mises uh, caucus. And so we brought some of those things directly to him, and we talked a lot more, uh, yeah, a lot more controversial stuff, I guess, and we push back on him. So I'm excited to put that one out. Uh, but listen, as I said on the show last week, he's a really cool guy. Uh, he's always been super great to us, and I think everyone truly believes uh, all the things that they are that they are pushing for. People are just on different pages, uh, so take from that what you will. That was kind of our weekend. There's your recap. We lost the MacBook. Well, I, we didn't lose it. It's in the other room over there. The MacBook's gone. It's dead. I'm sick. You know, they play golf at uh, Trump's golf course down there in uh, in Miami, and we got to meet a bunch of cool people. There you go. So, hey, thanks to Students for Liberty for putting on the uh, convention. It was a good time. Okay, what else is going on? We've been gone for a bit now. Well, I did want to give some some credit. Speaking of libertarians, I wanted to start off with a couple good things. If you guys don't mind starting off with a couple good things. I wanted to give some credit to a couple libertarians that are actually out there on debate stages in Georgia. Now, I don't know where y'all come down on this, whether or not you think libertarians take away votes from Republicans. Is that too dangerous in this election cycle? Regardless of all of that, they both did really great jobs, I think, representing libertarian ideas. Uh, they, they were prepared. They were ready to go. And so I, I wanted to just give some shout-outs to uh, Chase Oliver, who's running against uh, Warnock and Walker, who didn't show up for the debate, and then Shane Hazel. And I'm going to reach out and see if we can get either one of them on the show. We've uh, talked to both of them before, uh, especially Shane uh, a bunch of times, so we could probably get him on 
before the election to uh, talk with him. Here's just a couple of clips from uh, Oliver's uh, debate against Warnock. Uh, so, Senator Warnock, we will be hearing all about the spending bills that you have supported and that you have said yes to uh, while we're suffering from record inflation and a $31 trillion national debt. The CBO themselves said the Inflation Reduction Act wouldn't actually reduce inflation. So my question is, is are you actually reading the bills or are you just taking Chuck Schumer's word for it when you vote on these things? We are in the midst of a uh, response to a record pandemic that created an economic shutdown. Uh, and as a result of that, we've seen rising costs while we're paying rising costs. Now, Warnock goes uh, on to not answer those questions. Profits, he just makes a bunch of excuses. Which is why I passed the inflation re- cost of insulin and then, another. Uh, Chase they goes should pay back for at him at the end. Uh, so, so I wouldn't run the bill. Uh, the, the bill itself doesn't reduce inflation. So I wouldn't run on I voted for the Inflation Reduction Act if you're talking about how you've reduced inflation in the United States in it because that bill doesn't do it. And the truth is, is we can talk about insulin and price caps and these things uh, later on in this debate. But the fact is, is people aren't reading the bills in Washington, D.C. They're getting the bills handed to them by leadership. There's not real debate. There's not real amendments. It's not real legislating. What we have is we have leadership handing the bills at the end of the day, and you're voting on the next day a thousand-page bill. You're not reading the bills. And if I'm elected to the United States Senate, we will have. All right, so that was good. Great job to him. And then just a nice little clip from uh, Shane Hazel's also. I saw someone in the group say that they've just heard really good things about him. Uh, we've met him a few times also. Always a really nice guy. Uh, you know, that's that's as much as I personally know about him. He was always really nice uh, to uh, to talk to. But we'll try and we'll see if any, either of these guys wants to come on before the election. And we'll talk a little bit more about this here in a sec. Mr. Hazel, you ran for Congress in 2018. That was just four years ago. You ran as a Republican. You got less than 30 percent of the vote in the Republican primary. What happened between then and now that made you a libertarian? Oh, I, uh, I actually came back to my, my roots as a libertarian. Uh, we believe in freedom. We saw what the Republican Party was. We saw what the Democratic Party was. They are forcing coercion. No matter what they talk about, it's forcing coercion. Whether it's a certificate of need for hospitals, whether it is taking guns away from law-abiding citizens. It is always forcing coercion at the point of a gun from the Democrats and Republicans. To look at life through consent, the eyes that, hey, we can all have transactions, we do it every day in the private sector. 99.9% of us go throughout our day without raping people, without murdering people, without pointing guns at people to take their property. That is not what the government does under Republicans and Democrats, period. That's how I became a libertarian. Uh, This is why we're going to send this thing into a runoff. And if people were really looking for something to change, you'd vote libertarian. You'd send a message to both of these parties because one of these people will most likely be the executive in a rigged system that you want to be more free. Mr. Hazel. All right, so so that was great. He's up there with Kemp and um, Abrams. And uh, it was, you know, that was just one of the really good clips from it. And, you know, I get, I get the whole, uh, because we've been a part of this debate also. Is it better, you know, things are so bad right now. Everything's so bad. Is it better to vote for a Republican and try and get the Democrats out? And I, uh, you know, I still very much sympathize with that argument for sure. I'm not sure exactly where I come down on it. But the last thing he said there is that, we're going to send this into a runoff and we're going to send a message uh, to these parties. That is a very important part. Neither one of these guys are going to win and they both know that. But what is important is uh, more of a free market when it comes to your political candidates that you can choose between. We've had just a couple to choose between uh, that you normally hear from for quite a long time. And if for any reason the Republican Party sees, you know what, these libertarians... There, it looks like they're kind of pulling some votes away from us. I think they pull more from Republicans than, than Democrats, I would say, if that's even the case. I don't want to go down that whole, that whole rabbit hole, but I, I would say they pull some. And maybe if there were only two, some of the people that vote for libertarians, not all of them, would go and choose a Republican instead more often than not than a Democrat. I could be wrong about that, but I think that that is uh, possible. We'll just we'll just say that they need to see that they are not what everyone wants and that they need to get better. And that is why elections like this are important. They need to do better. They need to live up more to their 
professed ideology, the things that they say that they care about, the limited government and more personal freedoms, all of those things that they are constantly, constantly going against. We all know that they need to see that they have to do better. And that's why having candidates like this is important. Now, if it, if it ends up, if you could somehow figure out that having a libertarian in the race ended up with Stacey Abrams as the governor of Georgia, I will agree that is a really terrible outcome. But once again, the Republicans would just need to learn to do better. Hopefully they wouldn't just resort to trying to make it harder for libertarians to get on the ballot. That's another possibility. But I would like them to learn that they have to do better. And so that's why I wanted to shout out these guys today. They did a great job. They represented libertarian ideology really great. They were professional. They, they had their act together. And getting this out in front of people, because a lot of people on the outside, their idea of a libertarian is a, is a almost naked, bearded, fat guy dancing on the stage. Okay, I don't think it was really fat or whatever, but um, that's pretty much what people think of when they, when they think of a libertarian. And getting these guys out there, that's important. Let's move on. Uh, well, actually, <laughs> there is one thing. This could be dumb bleak, but local news channel 9 there, they posted the photo of the debate stage. And, of course, it was just Warnock and an empty podium. You see, Walker didn't show up to the debate that uh, Chase Oliver was at. So here's the cover photo for their article. Talks about Walker's uh, lectern being empty in the debate. No mention of the fact that there was another guy in the debate at all. In fact, this is one of the first things I saw about it, that Walk, that uh, Herschel Walker didn't show up. I didn't even know that there was a libertarian in the debate until I started seeing a bunch of libertarian people post about it. So I didn't know that. Uh, the good part is that they did correct this. They did add into the article that there was a libertarian who was definitely not going to win the election into the article. And that is kind of how they worded it after Chase Oliver commented on their Twitter. And uh, so they did, they did fix it in a way. And now there's a picture of Warnock and Oliver shaking hands uh, either before or after the debate. I don't know which one. That's what the media does. And you got to call them out on it. And luckily this channel did come back and say, okay, you're right. There was another. We tried to pull this over on everyone, but uh, there was someone else there. I hate that they still do that, and they're going to keep doing it. Let's talk about this vaccine thing real quick. Now, you can find dozens of episodes of us getting all of our monetization taken away from various social media platforms by talking about the vaccines. Those are all still up there. And so you're welcome to uh, all the times that we've gone through the numbers you're welcome to go do that. But here's a little part of this. So Tucker Carlson talked about this. The CDC was going to be voting on whether or not they were going to add the COVID vaccine to the childhood immunization schedule. Well, the CDC fact-checked him and said, well, we don't choose. We don't, we don't make it mandatory. We don't require that people do it. This is just, this is our list. You know, we don't, we don't actually make that decision. And they're right about that. They don't actually make that decision. And I did listen to Tucker Carlson's original comments, and he did say that they were going to vote on requiring your kids to take this vaccine. And it definitely sounded like the CDC was voting to make it a requirement that your kids get the vaccine. And he did not mention the states that followed the CDC guidelines and the states that do not. He just said that they were about to vote on making a requirement. So that stemmed... Fact check from CDC. You can see this built-in fact check on the screen on Twitter, which is a thing nowadays. Hopefully Elon gets rid of it because it's wrong a lot. Washington Post, all the other people talking about false claims that the CDC is going to be requiring COVID vaccine for kids. Okay, we all get that. He definitely worded it in a way that that's what it sounded like. Now, was he wrong about the states that follow the immunization schedule? No. Uh, they'll likely end up requiring it because they follow the schedule. And he did a good job running through this. So I'll just play that real quick. We don't normally play Tucker Carlson clips on the show, but I wanted to clear this up before we talk about the vaccine 
because everything you look up right now just talks about how this is fake news, false information. Every article that you pull up uh, says that every, you know, he was just out there lying about it. So we'll let him clarify it. The Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices was on the verge of adding the COVID vaccine to the childhood immunization schedule. That vote is scheduled for tomorrow. Now, as we said, if that vote passes, children will be forced to take the shot, the shot they do not need, no scientific basis for acquiring it, and the shot that could hurt them. They have to take that shot in order to be educated in the United States in a public school. Well, in response to our segment, the CDC complained on Twitter. They claimed that states and not the CDC established vaccine requirements for school children. But like so much else that we have heard from the CDC, and it pains us to say this, but it's true. Like so much else they have told us over the last two years, they're lying. And they know they're lying. More than a dozen states follow the CDC's immunization schedule to set vaccination requirements, not suggestions, requirements for children to be educated. For example, the Virginia Department of Health states that, quote, vaccines must be administered in accordance with the CDC's schedule. The state of Massachusetts says, quote, no student shall attend a preschool, elementary school, or secondary school program without a certificate certificate of immunization documenting that a child has been successfully immunized in accordance with a schedule that was, quote, developed in accordance with the recommendations of the CDC's advisory panel. Tennessee says its immunization requirement, quote, follow the current schedule from the CDC. New Jersey, Vermont, Ohio say virtually the same thing. We could go on. The point is the CDC sets the standard and then it becomes required across the country. And of course, they know that. Of course, they all right, so he's right about that part. Now, he didn't clarify that there were specific states that followed the standard and different states that had their own. And he said that there are 12 states that follow it. That means there are a lot more that don't. Okay, so I, I did just, you know, we want to be careful on, on going too far with the statements. Uh, but there are a lot of people that are going to end up requiring this. And I'm pretty sure we can all agree, everyone listening right now, that that's totally ridiculous. Uh, the, for, for a lot of reasons. Now, you can look up the myocarditis. I can tell you that the data has been a lot harder to find recently on the amount of kids that have died from it. The CDC's website and COVID tracker has changed a bit to make the data um, a little less usable than what it was, say, six months to a year ago, which is interesting. Uh, but this really comes down, it does come down to the states. And if your state is one that follows the CDC schedule, then that will be on you and your state to do that. Now, should the state even do that? No, I don't, I don't think that they should. I definitely don't, especially for a vaccine for kids uh, that we have no long-term data on. How do I know we don't have long-term data on it? I don't know. It was November of 2020 when they announced that they had a vaccine that they've been working on starting earlier that year, at the very beginning of that year. We don't have long-term data on it. It's impossible to have long-term data. And I, as someone who is not a parent, I would imagine that you would want long-term data on a medication before you decided to give your kid a vaccination for something that they have almost no chance of dying from. Now, if they have some type of underlying condition, we'll put the disclaimer in there. Of course, your situation is different. And if you want to get the vaccine for them, depending on what their condition is, then I guess that's up to you. But just know... I. I find it really, really weird to not have the long-term data, but to give a vaccine to a kid that's like three years old that has 0%, statistically 0% chance of dying. Uh, and okay, I get it. But guess what? We're already demonetized on everything. YouTube overlords that are watching right now, you can't hurt us any harder. All right? We're going to say whatever we want. So just some of the numbers by the way, the CDC's website has changed the way that they show you the the death rates. I mean, I, I didn't spend as much time as I have in the past going through everything, but I went through a lot of stuff today trying to find all of this information. And now they've gone to this really broad scale thing where they give you a reference group from 18 to 29 years. And if you're zero to four, all they tell you is that you have a less than one times chance compared to the 18 to 29. Now they don't say what the less than one X is. If you go to 40 to 49, you got 10 X more than the reference group. This is a mortality rate. This is the death rate and the people who get it. So 
they're they're being a little bit more shady with the numbers than they were to start off with, which is slightly concerning. I think we could agree. You can also look on their website, and they've made it to where it's deaths per 100,000 population by age group. And I rolled through the deaths per 100,000 population. This is according to the CDC's website. You don't even get it to register a number other than 0.00 from the age of 0 to 17. You get 0.00 until you go all the way back to May of 2022. And I think the 16 to 17 pops up to like 0.03 per 100 population. And you go back a couple more months and you start getting like 0.03, 0.05 on like 0 to 11, all that. And, And that's what they're showing you. Now you can go to Statista, which will show you like the total number of cases. And they're normally pretty good with data. It'll show you the number of cases and the number of deaths. And unfortunately, the number of cases are split out from 0 to 4, 5 to 11, 12 to 15, 16 to 17. And the number of deaths are just categorized 0 to 17. So I can tell you that from 0 to 17, the number of cases is over 15 million. That Statista is showing as of like the first week of October. And then 0 to 17 deaths, they have listed at 1,304 out of the 15 million cases that the same website is showing. Now, I'm no mathematician or anything, but I did have a calculator handy on my phone. And that that death rate, that mortality rate, comes out to 0.00008667. And I'm pretty sure that is, what does that come out to? That's less than a percent, clearly. That's 0.008%. Not 8%. Not 0.8%, percent I think is what that comes out to. That could be off on a decimal. But the actual number is 0.00008 for the death rate. Why are we talking about potentially forcing kids to take this? We know that it barely stops infection and it barely stops transmission. We know those things. We know that they, Pfizer never said that it stopped transmission. No, that was just the media and the government that said it stopped transmission. It wasn't Pfizer that said that or Moderna or any of them. So we know all that stuff right now. Why are we, what are we talking about? If you're vulnerable, then, then take it. It's available for you to take. But why force other people to take it when it doesn't stop infection or transmission? Who cares? If you got a kid, yes. It stops the, the deaths, not, not fully stops. It drastically reduces your likelihood of dying if you get COVID. And then you take that all the way down to 0 to 17. And it takes all the way down to 0 to 4. And then you got to get COVID. You got to be a vul- in the vulnerable population, like an underlying condition. And then you still got a low chance of dying from it. You're talking about hardly doing anything. Why are we talking about forcing this? I do not understand. Maybe you could have made that argument a long time ago, back when people thought it stopped transmission. But we know that's not even the case either. So what are we doing here? What's the, what's the plan? I think we know what the plan is. I think the people running these companies know what the plan is. I think their shareholders and big investors know what the plan is as well. I'm not going to say what the plan is, but you guys know what I'm saying right now. Okay, now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. Do you ever get stuck focusing on problems and not the solutions to those problems? I bet you do because that's totally normal. Heck, we talk about problems like 80% of the time on this show. But the day we spend talking about solutions, that's actually the most important one. I mean, seriously, we got so many things going on. The economy, society, our personal lives, of course. It can be tough to train your brain to stay in problem-solving mode. But there's no better feeling than learning how to find your own solutions. No matter how big or small, a therapist can help you become a better problem solver. And honestly, it feels pretty weird to talk about therapy, as I do a lot on here. But I've done it, and it worked. I went through a really tough period a few years ago, and I still remember a couple pivotal things that my therapist told me. Today, 
I'm feeling better than ever, and I'm not afraid to tell everyone that therapy played a really big role in that transition. So if you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, accessible, affordable, and entirely online. Get matched with a therapist after filling out a brief survey, and you can switch therapists anytime. When you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com slash GML today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash GML. One thing that happened while you were gone that I had to mention, and it's not just about the actual, listen, I don't really care about Elon Musk financing or Starlink or any of that stuff. We haven't even talked much about the Russia-Ukraine thing that much other than the fact that we don't want a nuclear war. But you guys remember the whole dust-up that we were talking about before we left to go to Miami. We talked about that whole thing. Well, after Musk put out his proposal to try and stop us from going to a nuclear war, he then started talking about how someone needed to start paying up for Starlink. And I think that that's a very reasonable suggestion. We're paying billions of dollars to Ukraine. Starlink apparently is vital to the entire operation. Why is it that we can, why is it that the government will pay for everything except for Starlink? Does that make any sense to anyone? Now, they said that they were considering paying for it after Musk started talking about it because it makes total sense. So the Pentagon said that they were considering it. Musk came back and said, no, no, not going to do it. Don't worry about it. We're just going to provide it for free. Okay. He even says we're not asking to recoup past expenses but they can't fund the existing system indefinitely and send several thousand more terminals and their usage is a hundred times greater than a typical household. This is unreasonable. I think that what he's saying is very reasonable. The Pentagon says they're considering paying for SpaceX's Starlink. Why is it even a consideration? You're paying billions for all of this other stuff. And if you take away Starlink, apparently the war is over, but you won't pay for that. I'll tell you why this is important. He eventually says the hell with it. Even though Starlink is still losing money and other companies are getting billions, we'll just keep funding the Ukraine government for free. This guy said no good deed goes unpunished and Musk said even so, we should still do good deeds. Now I like that. That's good. The annoying part about this as a libertarian, and I think it speaks to the entire society, is look how quickly we went from something not existing to it being a right that a rich person must provide to you for free. If you go through the comments on Twitter after Musk starts talking about needing to get some money from the government to fund this, the general consensus is that he's a billionaire. He's already sent it over there. It's his job to pay for it. He needs to stop being a Putin shill or whatever. I mean, just ridiculous stuff. And maybe it's a bunch of bots or whatever. I find it very concerning how quickly we went from a few years ago, no one had Starlink, or maybe a few people did. I don't know when they first started giving service, to now this is a right for an entire country to have. Look how quickly that happened. And if you're someone who hates billionaires and hates the wealthy, What is your plan in your society where Musk was not allowed to get enough wealth to start SpaceX or Tesla or whatever and make the wealth off of that and put all the money into Starlink and have enough left over to send over to an entire country that was being invaded by another country? What is your plan? How does that even exist? And this is the whole problem with this collectivism communism, socialism. Now that it exists, it is a right, but they have no plans for ever bringing things into existence. And that's something everyone needs to take very seriously. And unfortunately, it's a really big unseen problem because you don't see all the things that don't get created. But luckily, Musk has given us this, I would say brand new, but we had satellite internet for a while, not like Starlink, we know that this new thing that magically has become a right that he must provide the people for free. They will, will stop at nothing. There is nothing that you don't deserve a rich person to provide to you. In fact, Musk, you should be providing it to every single person on the entire planet. It's the least you could do. 
It's your duty, all right? Yes, they should be paying Starlink. If they're going to be paying for the bombs and everything else, well, if the Internet's very important, and that's how they've been able to keep the war going, and that's a thing that you want to keep happening, then, of course, they should be paying for it. Sorry, I had to stop for a second to uh, sniffle. I am still not feeling the best right now. We've talked about corporate welfare before in the past, and we generally defend a lot of what people call corporate welfare. The thing that we mainly defend when it comes to corporate welfare is people getting reductions in taxes. And while that may not be fair, it is not the corporation's fault that that is unfair. It is on the person who is taxing people that makes that unfair. This is an entirely different form of corporate welfare. We've talked before about how if I were planning a city, sure, I can see incentivizing a team to come to your town. Maybe you build a stadium for them to use and you get a lot more people moving into the town. You get a bunch of tourists coming into the town to watch games. You get a lot more tax money. If I were a city planner, that I could imagine that being a good idea. Now, there's a couple big differences here. There's one big difference. Totally different thing when it's bringing a new team to a town that does not have a team. By the way, we're talking right now about the Tennessee Titans announcing that there's going to be a $2.2 billion stadium built in Nashville. Much of it funded by taxpayers. So that's why we're talking about this. This hits close to home. So it's going to be funded a lot by taxpayers. I think there's a different thing when you don't have a team and you want to bring them versus there's already a team in your town and they just want a new stadium. That's a totally different situation, in my opinion. But this one's even worse. So Nashville mayor and the Tennessee Titans are making an announcement on a $2.2 billion stadium deal. Now, they still have to vote on this. They lay out all the ways that they're going to pay for this. $500 million is going to come from a one-time state contribution. That is, the state of Tennessee is going to contribute $500 million of taxpayer money to build this. Another $760 million is going to be coming from revenue bonds, uh, basically new taxes that they're going to be putting on hotels, various things around the city. They also talk about merchandise sales, stuff like that. And then $840 million is going to be coming from the Titans and the NFL. So you got $1.2 billion, essentially, in taxpayer money that's going to be used to fund this stadium. You might think, well, that's a good thing. I mean, they need a new stadium. Maybe we get a Super Bowl come to town. I'm not going to pretend to have all the numbers on all that. Uh, what I will show you is what was said when they first brought the stadium to town. What the mayor is saying right now. This could have been a dumb bleep, but he says, together with the Titans, we are announcing a new stadium proposal that relieves taxpayers of a $2 billion burden. You see, this new stadium is going to save the taxpayers $2 billion. That's weird because the taxpayers are going to be putting in $1.2 billion. So at the most, they're talking about $800 million that they could be relieving of a burden. But what's up with this $2 billion burden that they're talking about? Well, here's the deal. The lease for Nissan Stadium, which was signed in 1996, I think it was called East Bank Stadium is what they're calling it. I don't remember exactly what it was. Legally obligates Nashville to provide a first-class stadium until the year 2039. The VSG, which is the Venue Solutions Group, is estimating that renovating and maintaining the current stadium would cost between $1.75 and $1.95 billion over the remaining part of the lease. So you see, they're saying, if you want to keep this stadium, well, the renovations we'll have to do to this thing to fulfill our obligation, because it says that we have to provide a first-class stadium until 2039. Well, the renovations we have to do to this stadium are going to cost $2 billion. Now, there's already some weird math going on because renovating a current stadium that already exists and seats 67,000 people is going to cost only two, uh, $200 million less 
than building an entirely new domed stadium? That's interesting. I would like to see the numbers break down on that, but we don't have that right now. So then I wanted to dig into this. See, he just said that for us to keep this stadium, it's going to cost $2 billion. That got my mind working a little bit. Well, when they sold this stadium to the taxpayer, because they already chipped in money towards it when they built the stadium back in the late 90s, did they tell the taxpayer that it was going to cost them $290 million, which was the original cost for the stadium, plus $2 billion in the year 2022? Is that what they told them? No, they told them that this was a $290 million stadium. Now, it's a very crappy stadium. It's like, I mean, it's one of the worst stadiums you could ever go to. Not going to argue against that point. And it's, I think it's great that there's an NFL team in Nashville. So I had to do a little bit of research today, which I love doing. And I had to go back to what it was that they were selling people to begin with. Why is this important? Because they're always lying to you and you never get the full truth. You see, from what I can find is that back in 1996... They actually had a referendum on the ballot for people to vote, and that's because they were going to be using property tax dollars to actually chip in towards this stadium. $290 million was the total cost of the stadium. Now, this time, they don't have to have a referendum because they're not going to use a property tax. They're going to use a sales tax, and apparently the Metro City Council can just vote on that without the voters having to do it. So they basically said that the stadium would benefit the city economically, that Nashville's image would dramatically rise, all that stuff. They eventually got like 15,000 pro stadium people registered to vote. They talked about the finance plan. They ended up getting almost 60% in support, very grassroots movement. They said their primary goal for pushing for the referendum was for taxpayers to become, to become better educated about the plan and for voters, not Metro Council members, to make the final call. So what I want to know is, were the voters educated on this? Because what we're being told now, and everything that I can find, was that this $290 million stadium was going to be a boon for Nashville. I'm sure it's been great having an NFL team here. I'm not arguing against that. They also do a lot of big concerts there. They get rained out a lot, which is why they're wanting to do a dome stadium and they want to get the Super Bowl in town. I get all of that. Were the taxpayers told that this was a $290 million stadium that they would also, in the year 2022, have to pay, be told that they had to pay $2 billion to maintain it to actually fulfill their legal, legal obligations on the lease? Were they told that this was a $2.29 billion stadium when this referendum was on the ballot? No, they clearly were not. And you could solve this by not using taxpayer money to do stuff. They did at least put it up to a Democratic vote. But guess what? A lot of people are um, uneducated on the issue. I don't mean that they're dumb. I mean that they're ignorant on the issue. And by ignorant, I mean that they're uneducated on the particular issue. I don't know if a lot of people did know this, but now that we're talking about, oh, are we going to get a new one? Are we going to renovate the stadium? Well, guess what? Our contract, our contract says that we have to provide a first-class stadium. So that means that we're going to have to pay $2 billion to renovate the current stadium that we have. It's a $2.29 billion stadium that they were building in 1997. And no one was told about that. That's why I'm upset about this right now. Now they're going to raise taxes in Nashville. It says that that money can only go towards paying back the cost of the stadium and can be used for nothing else. But we've seen in the past, I don't know what they're going to actually write into it. We've seen in the past that you get a new tax to pay for something and guess what? The new tax never goes away. That's not good. I don't like that. Taking taxes from people, forcing them to pay more money is different from allowing a business to come in and not stealing from them while they're doing business. And I get it. Okay, well, your budget says you got to pay for this. You're not getting it from these people. So now you got to take it from these people. So you're actually taxing the people. Well, okay, what if the people never came there? You're saying that 
you're saying that you're losing tax money by not taxing the people. Well, if you didn't not have the tax money, then the people never would have came there. So there's arguments to be made about whether or not it's a good idea to give people tax incentives to come somewhere. That's not this episode. Be aware of the fine print when your cities are telling you how much something's going to cost. Because in this case, it's like 10 times more. All right, we'll move on to something else after that. Oh, by the way, one other thing. In 1997, now this is after they already signed a deal for it. The current mayor, uh, he's, he's gone, all right? He admitted in 1997, I think he might have been still mayor at this time. He admitted that it was actually not a direct economic impact, that he couldn't make that argument. Now, they made the argument when they were pushing that referendum on the ballot. But then afterwards, a year afterwards, to be exact, he said that he could no longer make that argument because the professors who make a living poo-pooing that are right. But there are a lot of intangible benefits. So not going to make the economic impact argument anymore either. That's great. And by the way, the Tennessee Star reported that renovations in Nissan Stadium would cost $600 million. Uh, nope, $1.95 billion. That's great. Last thing we'll finish up with today. What happened to this journalist? I'm not saying he's I'm not saying he's dead or anything. They're talking to his lawyer. This is a weird situation, and it's been compounded by the Rolling Stone saying something that uh, was very frustrating. But this investigative journalist from ABC, I think, according to the Blaze, now that's not the article I'm be reading, but this headline, writing a critical book on the Biden administration, mysteriously vanishes. Now, they've spoken to his lawyer. He did not say that the guy was missing, but the, no one has seen the guy since the FBI raided his house all the way back in April. The guy was very outspoken, doing documentaries on Hulu, stuff like that. He tweeted the morning of April 27, 2022. The FBI raided his house later that day, and literally no one has heard or seen him since. Now, that's weird. I just think that... We need more people asking, where is James Gordon Meek? Because I just want to know. I want to know exactly what they have. An Emmy Award-winning ABC News journalist who broke several high-profile national security and terrorism-related stories has gone missing since the FBI sees, reportedly sees classified information from his laptop during a raid, according to published reports. James Gordon Meek, investigative reporter and producer of Hulu's acclaimed documentary, 3212, unredacted, has not been seen in public since heavily armed federal agents raided his penthouse apartment in Arlington in April. This is all according to the Rolling Stone. I have trouble going off of stuff that the Rolling Stone says, but if they have a lot of, uh, if they got a lot of quotes from people backing it up, mm, okay, that's all right. The magazine cited sources familiar with the matter saying that the federal agents found classified information on his laptop, makes attorney, told Rolling Stone that uh, Mr. Meek is unaware of what allegations sources are making about his possession of classified documents. If documents exist, this would be within the scope of his long career as an investigative journalist covering government wrongdoing, the attorney told Rolling Stones in a statement. It's unclear which news story prompted the federal government to, to set its sights on Meek, whose groundbreaking reporting on the 2017 Pentagon cover-up of the deaths of U.S. servicemen in Niger served as the basis for the Hulu documentary. Maybe that's one of them. Quote, the allegations in your inquiry are troubling for a different reason. They appear to come from a source inside the government. Meek's attorney told the Rolling Stone, it's highly inappropriate and illegal for individuals in the government to leak information about an ongoing investigation. Well, that can't be true because I feel like we have the government leaking information about ongoing investigations, some even uh, including classified documents uh, all the time. I just thought that, that was kind of a normal thing that we talked about. We hope that the DOJ investigates the source of the leak. I'm sure they're going to get right on that, for sure. Meek's whereabouts were unknown before working for ABC News. He also covered national security for the New York Daily News. Pentagon, the Post, has sought comment from ABC and the FBI. No one's commenting. And then the Rolling Stone said something that was, I don't know, upsetting as a libertarian. They said that this is possibly, possibly the first investigation or raid on a journalist in the, uh, I think they said in the Biden administration, pretty sure, first one. 
since he became president. Uh, that's not, that's not true. That's not true at all. Uh, we got James O'Keefe from Project Veritas. No, I posted that on the Rolling Stones tweet about this being the first journalist under the Biden administration to have this happen to them. And uh, the comments were uh, enlightening. They said, they said journalist. And I said, well, what constitutes a journalist? And the person said, well, they got to be a journalist. And I said, what do you mean by that? See, the thing is, if you don't, if you're not journalisming on the right side of the aisle, apparently, then you're not a real journalist. Or if you don't work for one of the major billion dollar, multi-billion dollar news corporations, then you're not actually a journalist, which is a weird thing for people who uh, really care about the little guy to think. So that's strange. But no, this is not the first time. The whole Ashley Biden diary thing happened with Project Veritas and James O'Keefe. We'll see what happens with the rest of that. This is not the uh, not the first journalist to go through this. I'm very interested in what this guy was working on, and I don't know if we're ever going to figure that out. But if we don't have enough people talking about it, if we don't have enough people asking, then no one's ever going to tell us. So that's why we're bringing it up, so we can get those keywords out there saying that we talked about this today, and we will, we will try and stay on the situation as much as we can. All right, everyone. We're out of here. First show back in a while. It was a long weekend and a long week. Charlie sends his best. He couldn't make it, but he will return. If you could do something for me, just real fast, go follow us on one of our platforms. Say uh, subscribe on YouTube or go like something on TikTok. If you want to hang out in the live group, which I've been watching the comments come in, thank you for hanging out, everyone. I really appreciate that. Then go to joingml.com and pay as little as $6 a month. If you want a shirt that says God hates feds, or you want a Joe Biden um, a puzzle, then you can go to godhatesfeds.com and get one of those shirts. We've been demonetized on pretty much everything other than the advertisers that we have on this show. We've been uh, close to deplatformed because they've taken our reach down so much. And by taking it down, I mean like 99% reduction. But we're going to keep pushing through because so far they're not censoring the podcast themselves. So we can still get all this out here. But we need you guys to go subscribe or comment or like or share or do all those things. Just a personal request from me to you. And if you do all those things, and I mean all of them, I'll be right back again tomorrow for Dumb Bleep of the Week. Until then, have a good day and a good morning, Liberty.